Welcome to Curiosity Taught the Cat, the podcast where we take animals you see every day, animals you've heard of, and animals you didn't know existed, and break them down in a single episode. Our goal as animal lovers is to spread knowledge and awareness about the creatures we share this floating rock with. We hope you learn something new. Welcome to Curiosity Taught the Cat. I'm Jack. I'm Julia. I'm Colton. And what are we talking about today, Colton? Today we're going to be talking about the polar bear. So the polar bear is probably one of the most popular bears, if not one of the most popular animals in the world. Uh, So I'm sure a lot of this information may be information that people already know, um, but we hope they can shed some light on maybe some new things nobody had any idea about. So the name polar bear, uh, as you can probably guess, comes from the fact that it lives near the pole, specifically the North Pole. Uh, it has a variety of names. Its Latin name is Ursus Maritimus, or Maritimus, which is directly translates to sea bear, and we'll talk about why that is. Uh, and it has a multitude of other names. Uh, just some examples are in Norway and Denmark, it is called the Isbjorn, which just means ice bear. Uh, it's been given names such as the farmer because of its slow pigeon-toed gait. Uh, the White Sea Deer, the Seal's Dread, the Rider of Icebergs, the Whale's Bane, the Sailor of the Flow. A lot of those ones probably come from a lot of mythology or stories about the polar bear. So you give them these big, epic kind of names. Uh, other names include the Old Man in the Fur Cloak, uh, God's Dog. Uh, and then you also have Gip, which is used by uh, a Siberian tribe called the Ket. And then just general appearance-wise, like we said, I'm sure... Pretty much everyone has seen what a polar bear looks like, but for those of you that don't know, if you picture a bear, it is very general bear shape. I'd say the only major difference is is that it's larger in size, which we'll get into later, and it has pretty short features such as its uh, ears and its tail are very short. And it is a white bear, um, although it is called like a white bear, I learned that its hairs are actually translucent. Um, So we can't see that, obviously, unless we're super up close, but that's just the general appearance of the bear. And the reason that their hairs are translucent and why that appears as white is with the the light spectrum. If something absorbs all colors, it is black or is perceived as black. If something reflects all colors, it is perceived as white. So the polar bear's fur reflects all light, therefore we perceive it as white, and it's just one of their ways of thermoregulation. Yeah, the male bear, or boar, can weigh around 350 to 700 um, kilograms, which roughly is about 770 to 1,500 pounds, while the sow is only about half that size. This is a species that, like most bears, have that sexual dimorphism when it comes to size between the males and the females. The males typically are much, much bigger. The polar bear can also be about three to five feet tall at the shoulder, which is how typically the four-legged quadruped animals are measured, while the length of them can be a very large, anywhere from five to seven feet long. So they're obviously a very, very large animal. I think I've read that the largest polar bear ever seen and recorded, they believe he was over 1,700 pounds, and they think he was around 13 feet tall when standing on hind legs, which is 
crazy to think about. That is a massive bear. And then moving on to some of the more interesting characteristics about the polar bear. The polar bear is so perfectly adapted to live in the cold climate that it lives in. So like Julia said, they got that white fur. Well, they actually have two layers of fur. On top of having two layers of fur, they also have up to four inches of fat underneath their skin. And those two layers of fur and then the layer of fat is for thermoregulation, keeping themselves warm. And you'll see this with a lot of animals that tend to live in cold climates where they'll have that two layers of fur. They have an overcoat and an undercoat sort of thing. And one of the big uh, perks of that kind of fur is um, to help with getting wet. So the top layer of fur may get wet, but be, that undercoat usually doesn't get as wet, so it helps keep them warm and they don't get uh, as cold. And then moving on from their like fur, they also have huge paws. Uh, it is described as the size of a dinner plate uh, across, a singular paw. And it's really described as kind of like a snowshoe, that's the whole purpose. Because their paws are so wide and they have four paws when they're walking, they're able to distribute their weight really well. So when they're walking on ice, they don't really break the ice. And if they're walking on snow, they're not gonna fall through the snow because they have these really wide paws. Then when also walking on ice, they have these small bumps on their paws called uh, papillae. Uh, they really just help keep gripping and uh, so they don't slide around, as well as having really long claws, which can grow up to two inches long. And those are just to really help get traction and to dig in and whatnot. And then also on their paws, their their toes are also kind of webbed, and that is for to help or that is for swimming. Uh, we mentioned earlier they're called the sea bear. They do a lot of swimming. They actually spend around fifty percent of their entire life in the water, hence being called a sea bear. So these paws are webbed to help them swim, where they use their front paws kind of like paddles, and then they use the back paws kind of like rudders. And because of all the fatty tissue that they have in them, they're actually extremely buoyant. So they are extremely amazing swimmers. And along with some of their characteristics, uh, their hearing and sight is very similar to humans in that way. We're pretty much the same on that level. It's really what their smell is that makes them such an amazing apex predator, really. Um, they can smell from about one mile away, and they can smell things that are buried three feet into snow, which is insane when you think about how dense snow can be, and especially in that cold. I mean, that's just crazy, their smell. To add on to this amazing sense of smell that we just covered, it actually um, largely ties into how they hunt. They're an ambush predator, meaning that they kind of sit and wait for their prey to pop up. So when they're hunting for their primary source of food, seals, they'll wait by any opening in the ice near water for the seal to pop up. And at that point, they're able to just stand still so the seal doesn't see them and then nab it out of the water. And we mentioned their ambush predators. Uh, they will literally wait for hours if they have to. Uh, seals are a marine mammal, so they're able to breathe underwater for a long time. They don't necessarily need to come up that often. So polar bears will literally wait hours for these seals to pop up. And it, it's really a way just to conserve energy. Because when it's all about staying warm, you want to conserve as much energy as possible. And they don't want to lose their fat. The more energy they uh, use, the more fat they lose. And the whole idea is... The fatter, the better, really, with them, because it helps make it through when they have their long winters. And when they actually catch these seals, they don't eat what we would consider the meat part of the seals. They usually just eat the skin and blubber. And they do this because where they're from, it's hard to get fresh water sometimes. And they can actually metabolize this seal blubber into water for their bodies. 
And one of the best times of the year for polar bears to eat is actually during the springtime when seals are giving birth to their pups. Uh, because a lot of time these pups are spending majority of their time on land or on the ice essentially, not underwater. And it's really easy pickings for the polar bear to find out where the nest or den is, break in and then eat the pups. Yeah, polar bears are actually what is considered hyper carnivorous, meaning over 70% of their diet is comprised of meat. And if you think about where they live, there's very little vegetation for them to eat. So meaning their entire diet is going to be other animals such as seals and sometimes Arctic fox. And they are actually the largest terrestrial carnivore in the world. Uh, there, there is no bigger carnivore that lives on land than the polar bear. So during breeding season or mating season is between April and May for these polar bears. And this is when it's warm out. And they usually will congregate wherever the seals go. Um, and it will, I'll kind of explain that later. Um, but basically the male and female will mate. And sometimes the female will mate with different males. But they'll do it for about a week. And it just improve, improves the chance of actually getting impregnated. So after the female actually is impregnated she goes through what's called blastocyst and this is when for the first couple of months the fertilized egg doesn't fall into the uterus quite yet and she takes this time to almost double her body weight and eat as much as she can and this is because after she gets pregnant she kind of goes into this little hibernation uh, where she forms a den to give birth to her cubs but that entire time she isn't actually eating and I know the, the listeners can't see when we uh, do certain gestures. So when Julia said hibernation, she did air quotes. It's because polar bears actually don't hibernate at all. They don't have to because they're, they're so used to the cold that even when it gets down to negative 45 degrees Celsius, it does not affect them. They can still uh, go on normal. The only big difference is, is how much they eat. That's the big thing. They're still active. Um, but it's just less active, eating less sort of thing. They never truly go into hibernation like other bears do. So if the blastocyst in a female polar bear is able to successfully implant itself in the uterus, the gestation actually is not that long. It's a couple months at the most. Um, and these babies come out weighing uh, as little as one and a half pounds. Like they are tiny. Now, even though they're born, the mother still isn't going to come out of her den for a little while because she needs to make sure the uh, cubs are able to walk around and eat on their own. So she will stay uh, in this kind of like den that she makes herself, uh, just nursing these cubs until they are big enough, big enough to go out with her for hunts. Now, polar bears can range on a very large expanse of land. Mainly their territory depends on two things. It's going to be the quality of food they can get and the ice. Now these are two things that can vary depending on the time of year. So mainly they're gonna be following where the seals go because they have to be able to get that food. It actually is an interesting fact about that. They, being that they are a marine mammal, they are the only marine mammal that are able to walk these giant expanses, miles and miles of land and gallop at the same time. And these polar bears don't really have set territories similar to other bears. Usually other bears, they're pretty confined where they have like a centralized place where they like sleep and rest and whatnot. And then they go uh, miles or kilometers away and then always come back. Whereas polar bears are constantly having to move because like Colton said, they got to follow the seals. They got to follow where the ice goes sort of thing. And there's actually one female polar bear that uh, was satellite tracked. They saw that she uh, trekked 
4,796 kilometers from Alaska to Greenland to Canada back to Greenland. So polar bears are not a, they don't have a set place where they're going to return to. It's just going wherever they can find food. There is also a story of a female polar bear that was said to have swam for nine days straight. Uh, the the big uh, cost for that, though, she lost up to 20% of her weight, and she actually lost the cub that was with her during this travel. But it just goes to show the kind of endurance that polar bears have, where she could literally just swim for nine days straight. And then going further with polar bears' uh, socialization, they have a lot of communication methods. Uh, a, lot, a lot of bigger mammals have a lot of different communication methods that they use. Uh, with polar bears, uh, we have, there are several examples that I have. So one of the ones is they have a head wagging that they kind of do. It's a very playful act. And usually it's adults doing it to juveniles to try to get them to play. Um, but you will also see where adults initiate play by standing on their hind legs and uh, like kind of touching their head to their or their chin to their chest and just like standing there. It's kind of a way just to initiate play. It's not a very threatening pose uh, to start playing. Uh, they also have another greeting that's like a nose to nose where if they if a polar bear is eating some food and another one wants some of it, they'll kind of circle around, go up to the eating polar bear and kind of just like touch its nose, go nose to nose. And it's a way of like asking permission sort of thing. Uh, then as for like vocalizations, they have uh, several examples here would be chuffing, which is kind of a, uh, a response to stress. Uh, the most times you hear this is if a mother is stressed about her child's safety. Uh, they have a scolding, which is uh, a mother bear. You, it's like a really low growl or a, low, uh, a soft uh, cuff. Then you can probably picture what that kind of sound sounds like. Uh, it could sound threatening, but it's not nearly as threatening as its roars or its growls or its hissing that it does to show its like true anger and true aggression. Uh, there is also rushing. Uh, this is when a male polar bear is near cubs. A female polar bear will charge the male with her head down and it's basically like a threat, like get away from my children sort of thing. Uh, and then, like I said, they have a lot of different, like, hisses, snorting, roars, growls that they do as signs of, like, aggression, warning, anger, all that sort of stuff. And then if they – the whole, like, attack mode sort of thing is a charge with head down and, like, ears back. So it is trying to just run straight at something. And then you also see – and this is probably true of a lot of different uh, predators that are territorial – uh, if a polar bear moves downwind of another bear, that shows that the the polar bear that moved downwind is the submissive one. You are trying to basically stay out of the the scent in the the area of a more dominant polar bear. A polar bear is actually, as we've covered, covered a very wide expanse of land. They really don't know any sort of uh, um, boundaries when it comes to territory, and they've been found everywhere in from Alaska, Canada, Russia, Greenland. Norway, um, specifically Svalbard, and scientists have divided up the populations that go into these areas into 19 different populations that we know about. Now, just getting to the age of these animals, they don't live that long for how big they are, really. They rarely live beyond 25 years old, and the longest actually recorded uh, species, or the longest recorded polar bear, was 43 years old, and it was a female that died in 1991. So when you think of like, you know, other bigger mammals, they live almost as long as humans do. So it's kind of surprising that they don't live that long. And just to get into their predators, the answer is they don't really have any. 
The only big threat to them and naturally is other polar bears. And we see this usually with um, other polar bears eating other ones young. And that's just to show, you know, dominance over them. And then as with a lot of animals we have talked about and even more animals that we will talk about, uh, the polar bears numbers are, I would say not ideal. They're not great. Um, and like Colt mentioned earlier, there's those 19 different like subpopulations around the world. There are some that are actually on the incline and they're doing all right. There are some that are pretty level and they haven't really changed for a little bit. And then there are others that are decreasing drastically. Um, the biggest threat is going to be in habitat and environment loss. As we know, with like climate change, a lot of the perma ice, which is the definition of perma ice is like ice that persists over years. It's not ice that comes and goes with the season. It's ice that has been there for at least a couple years, if not hundreds, thousands, millions of years. And so these these polar bears depend on this perma-ice. Uh, and the more perma-ice that melts, the smaller their habitat gets, which means uh, less food, less places to go for this food. Uh, one of the big areas where we've seen significant habitat loss or um, population loss for the polar bears is Hudson Bay, Canada. Uh, because it is warming up so much, female polar bears actually aren't able to get fat enough to where they get pregnant. So because they're not able to produce any more young, as soon as some of the older polar bears start dying off, those numbers are going to dwindle until they are um, at least gone in that area. And then some other contributing factors to their decreasing numbers are uh, a lot of human-related things. Like we mentioned climate change, which a lot of it has to do with us. Uh, we also are doing more oil drilling, offshore exploration, undersea exploration, which just infringes on their habitat and it can mess up the ecosystems in the area which help dwindle down the numbers usually of the polar bear's prey. And when the polar bear's prey goes down, they also go down. Uh, as well as as ice starts to break up, a lot of platforms or ice platforms start to move. And the further they go apart, the uh, harder it is for polar bears to get from platform to platform. And like we said, they are excellent swimmers. But when you factor in like storms, the longer treks can be exhausting. Uh, they lose a lot more of their body weight where it's, it really hurts their numbers. A fun fact about polar bears is that they are actually considered a marine mammal. Now, a lot of people wouldn't think of a bear as a marine mammal. Most people would think of like a grizzly or a black bear. They're always spending their time on land and walking around. They have four legs and they're good at running. Now, polar bears do um, share those traits, but due to the fact that they spend most of their life on ice sheets that are on top of water and they rely on that water for their food, they're considered a marine mammal. Actually, their scientific name actually directly translates to a maritime bear. Another fun fact is that um, unlike most bears, polar bears' attacks on humans are usually intentional. And I know that sounds scary, but when we think about other bears, they're usually they attack because we scare them and stumble upon them or we're threatening things like their cubs. Polar bear attacks, they usually intentionally attack humans because they're unafraid and because they actually see us as prey some of the time, which is kind of scary to think about. And there are also some uh, folk tale about these polar bears, as we kind of mentioned earlier. Uh, there is one in the Inuit tribe in Alaska that these bears are actually humans when they are in their own homes, but then they put on bear hides when they go outside. And then there's also some in the Chukchi and Yupik tribe, where they have what is quote-unquote a Thanksgiving, and this is when they catch and kill a polar bear, and they bring parts of it back into their home to perform a ceremony in which they're trying to 
uh, appease this polar bear spirit. And some other fun facts to end the episode are the polar bear's top speed is about 40 kilometers per hour, which that's pretty fast. Uh, a little reassurance, though, is they can't really maintain that for long. Uh, their uh, thermal regulation and conserving heat works so well that they actually get overheated very easily. So they're not able to run for long distances. That's why you usually see them kind of like uh, lumbering around, so that really slow gait. Uh, they're just conserving energy and they don't want to overheat. Uh, a couple other things are they have three eyelids, actually. Uh, the third eyelid that they have helps protect the bear from the elements. So, like, if it's really windy or a lot of, like, hail or snow, uh, keeps that sort of stuff out of their eyes and keeps it from damaging their eyes. Uh, polar bears also have black skin and blue tongues. Uh, obviously, with the black skin, it's kind of hard to see it when they're covered with white fur. But one of the big indicators that they have black skin is because their nose. Their nose is a very dark black. And then they have a blue tongue. This isn't crazy. There are a lot of animals around the world that have very different colored tongues. Probably the most common that most people know is dogs. Dogs can have black or darker colored tongues compared to the normal pink that we see. And then one other thing that I think is interesting, especially when you start to compare sizes, the closest relative of the polar bear is the brown bear. And that is actually who they directly came from, was the brown bear uh, several million years ago. But that is their closest relative. I think that about covers it for the polar bear. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and tune in next time for the Arctic Shrew. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, and you can find the handles for those social medias in the description. I'd also like to thank my friend, the musical artist known as Shades, for creating this amazing intro and outro for this podcast. I highly recommend checking out his other work.